0: Well, Paul had a place, the Apostle Paul had a place that he wanted to go more than any other. He didn't seem too keen on Australia, but Italy was definitely on his bucket list. Rome, to be precise, precise. And while Paul was surely interested in the sights and the sounds and the smells that made up the capital city of the great Roman Empire, he had a mission in mind. As he arrived in chains. Paul wanted to preach the gospel. At the highest levels of government. And to the inhabitants of the capital city. Who would scatter everywhere. And take the gospel with them as they went. What a strategic location. From which. The gospel would spread. Far and wide. Paul understood all of that. He had already seen all of this in his mind. And even though. Coming in chains was not a part of his vision. It didn't stop him from understanding that he was on mission from God. He considered himself a prisoner of the Lord. And he never wasted an opportunity to present the gospel with passion to all who would listen, regardless of their social standing or their religious convictions. Well, today is the last Sunday we're going to spend in the book of Acts. We've been quite a few weeks in the book of Acts, going through this uh, story of the early churches it began to move from Jerusalem out to Samaria, and then all parts of the universe, or all parts of the empire, I'm sorry, not the universe. That's, that's for Star Wars days when, when Scotty gets saved, you know, and then takes it there. Um, this has been just an awesome study for me. I don't know if you recall or if you were here when we first started this study, but I told you that every time... When I'm doing Bible reading, I'm just going through the Bible, I come to the book of Acts, there's almost a part of me that says, okay, here's Acts. You know, it's a little bit long, I know all the stories, I've been here before, but every single time I have ever read through the book of Acts, I come out of it going, yes! Well, I went into it pretty excited this time, and I've come out really excited. I have seen so, and I always do. I always do. I I see so many things in Scripture I never realized were there. Verses that I've known all my life, all my adult life, and still there's more to learn. So at the end of this service, I want you to be able to share some of the things that, that, that you have learned in the book of Acts or some of the things that have really inspired or convicted, challenged, taught, motivated you. So we'll take a few minutes at the end of the service and give you an opportunity to To share a little bit also. Um, And you you can be thinking about that. But don't let your thoughts take you too far. From the word. Well we're going to read most of the last chapter. uh, In the book of Acts. Acts 28 verses 11 to 31. And then hopefully by next week. We'll have our screen up here. But don't. Look when we get the projector back and the screen up and the scriptures on the screen. It's always best to have your Bible and be flipping. It's just good practice to be always moving in scripture to know so that you'll be able to work your way around it and don't get lazy and depend on the screen. Um, The remarkable thing about this last chapter of Acts is how very unremarkable it is. In fact, if Paul were not a prisoner, his trip to Rome would look pretty much like his visit to any other number of cities that he's been in all around the empire. To this point, he goes to the Jews, or in this case, the Jews come to him, talks to them, they're interested, they think about it, but then they reject the message of the gospel, and Paul turns to the Gentiles. So he follows that pattern in, in Rome, and then the book of Acts just ends. It just ends, it just stops, like in the middle of the story. You ever read those books? Well, John Grisham's early books were like this. You know, you'd read it, and you'd come to the last page, and you'd say, you're kidding, you know? You've got to be kidding me. I read a sports, and this won't matter, except for those of you who are sports fans, but I read this Sports journalist one time talking about this Atlanta closer, Atlanta Braves closer. He, he, he would come in late innings. And he said, this guy has more trouble closing the game than John Grisham does a novel. You know, and that's pretty bad. That, and, and it almost feels like that in Acts. I mean, you're just reading through, and all of a sudden it just stops. And you're like, wait a minute. There's surely this, there's got to be more to this story. Well, there is. And we're living it. We are in, right now, the 29th chapter of Acts. In fact, our series this fall is going to be called the 29th chapter. What are we supposed to... What are we doing now? Because we have all of this knowledge, what is our calling? What is our mission? Well, let's get started so that we can work our way through this last chapter of Acts We'll be reading Acts 28, verses 11 to 31. If you would, please stand as we read the word. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. After three months, three months, you will recall, on the island of Malta, where they had been shipwrecked. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods, as a figurehead putting in at Syracuse we stayed there for three days and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium and after one day a south wind sprang up and on the second day we came to Puteoli there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days so we came to Rome and so we came to Rome And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Let me just say very quickly, I should have said this to begin with. The we here is talking, Luke is writing uh, in the first person plural. It's Luke and Paul and actually... um, Aristarchus is with him as well. So verse 17, After three days he called together, Paul, that is, called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieved, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And you know, well that's it. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this account of the way your gospel spread. And Lord, thank you for encouraging and and exciting our hearts through this study. Of the book of Book of Acts, where we are thinking about the advance of the gospel then and now. And Lord, as we leave this book, we really don't leave it because it's just part of the story that you are finishing. And oftentimes, <laughs> to our amazement and great blessing, you're using us to finish this story. So, Lord. Help us to understand how very important these words are this morning. Even though they seem so commonplace, so so much of what has already occurred in the book of Acts that we have seen several times. We need to hear from you this morning. So open our hearts and fill them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. Well, as we wrap up this study, there are a, couple, there are, there are a handful of truths, three to be precise, that, that we have seen repeatedly in the book of Acts. And we just want to consider these three truths. There are more here, but just these three things that remind us of all that has gone up until this time. And the first is this. The gospel advances according to God's plan. God is sovereign. And the gospel Advances according to his plan. I imagine earlier um, when I said, Where's the one place in the world that you've never been that you would like to go? I imagine many of you thought, Well, you know, I'd like to go there, but I'll never go this side of heaven. But you know what? We end up in places we never thought we'd be, don't we? Who knows? You may end up being there someday. You just may. Can you imagine what a miracle it was that Paul actually ended up in Rome? But it wasn't really Paul so much that ended up in Rome as it was the gospel. Of course it was him. But he was there at God's pleasure, at God's design, at God's desire. He moved... With the flow of the Holy Spirit. Not exactly as he had planned, but but he was there because of the Lord. Paul was the privileged ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, spreading the gospel to Caesar's household and even to Caesar Nero himself. Now we're told, we're not told in this text that Paul actually appeared before Nero. Here's the deal Paul gets to Rome, he's a prisoner. He's had to appeal to Caesar because when he was being tried back in Caesarea, Felix, was it Felix or Festus? I believe it was Festus, said, Paul, he wanted to do a a, a favor to the Jews. And if you've not been here, you've not been following this, just go with it. Because if you've been here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Festus said, Paul... How about you be tried in Jerusalem? Well, he knew he would be assassinated or found guilty and and executed either way. And he said, no, I appeal to Caesar. That was his right as a Roman citizen. He said, I'm basically, basically he said, I want the president of the United States to hear my case. That's what a Roman citizen can do. Well, most of the time, these emperors wouldn't really hear the cases. They would just have some of, you know, their officials to hear the cases and if it was a really big deal then maybe he would get involved now two years paul was in rome Um, and during that time they were waiting for an accuser to come acts 27 tells us reminds us that 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 an angel of the lord had come to paul and said you will appear before caesar so we have to assume that he did in fact we could just say case closed. Now, we're not exactly sure if it was this time or later. Here's the, here's the deal. At the end of this two years, approximately two years, that was pretty much the statute of limitations when you appealed to Caesar. You had two years to get your case heard in court. And you didn't get your case heard unless the accusers came. Um, Bert and Harold... Jernigan and I were talking about this after the move the other night. We we got all moved in. We sort of plopped down, and and we were talking about it. And there was some speculation. Bert said, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't this imprisonment. It was the second imprisonment. Here's the timeline, not from Scripture, but from church history. We're almost certain, and from piecing it together, from other letters that Paul wrote. Paul was in Rome somewhere around 60 to 62, A.D. 60 to 62. At the end of this time, he was set free. His other letters indicate that. Two years later, he was arrested and tried and found guilty. And when he wrote the book of 2 Timothy, he was awaiting execution. Um, So what what happened? Very likely, his accusers decided it's not worth it. I mean, just think about it. Paul had been tried before. Claudius Lysias, uh, Felix... Festus, Agrippa, and every one of them had said the same thing. This man's guilty of nothing. He's not guilty of anything. So they all were willing to let him go, but he had been arrested and they had sort of a mess, and so Paul finally appeals to Caesar. And it could be that at the end of that two years, the Jews didn't come because Caesar didn't take too well to have in his time wasted by making accusations that that were baseless. And so maybe they didn't want to show up, and he said, okay, go. But the next time Paul came, and possibly at that time, he appeared before Caesar. Any way you look at it, Paul would have been an interesting case. I mean, everybody had heard about this guy. And so Nero had said, you know what, I don't usually sit in on these things, but I want to see this guy. Either way, he appeared before Caesar, the gospel was presented at the highest levels. What a journey for Paul to get to Rome. I mean, he had hoped to come to Rome of his own volition, but he had been arrested in Jerusalem, endured four trials, four major trials, several assassination attempts. He was transported to Rome on a ship full of prisoners. They got in a violent storm. The sailors tried to sneak away so that they would be saved and just abandon everybody else. The centurion stopped them. The the other soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners. The centurion stopped them. And and then Paul made it safely to land, only to be bitten by a deadly poisonous snake. And he shook it off, literally. He just shook it off, and the Lord used him in a marvelous, miraculous way, conducting ministry Paul did that was powerfully blessed by the Lord. And so he finally made his way to Rome. Now, what if the Lord said, okay, I'm going to take you to London, or I'm going to take you to Argentina, wherever it is you want to go. But here's the, here's the trip. You're going to be arrested, go through. Now you'd say, no, 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 thanks. That's okay. I really don't want to go that badly. Well, Paul ends, ends up in Rome. Every step of the way, Paul was hindered from getting to that destination. Who do you think was opposing him? Who do you think is opposing you when you seek to advance the gospel? I mean, the opposition to Paul was extreme, and it was opposition not only to him, but it was opposition to the gospel. Have you ever been in the midst of trials? And, and you find yourself saying, why, Lord? I know you have. I, I, I hear it a lot. I don't understand this. And, and believe me, I'm no better than you when I say that I don't ever ask the Lord why. Because I know it's just right there under the threshold of, look, the way I respond many times to trials indicates that I'm all about me. And I'm all about saying, what is this all about, Lord? You know, what is this going on? And I avoid the word why, but I'm asking it in every way possible other than saying the word why. It could be that Satan doesn't want you to be a witness for Jesus, to which you may bow your head and say, well, unfortunately, I haven't witnessed in a long time. Let me ask you this. Do people in your family, the people at your place of work, the people in your neighborhood know you're a Christian? And you have a witness. They're watching you. And if Satan can get you to wring your hands in the morning groan and to be miserable, and I am really good at all of that, when a a difficult trial comes on you, then he is hindering your witness for the gospel. And you may think that this is Satan's plan to get you derailed, and it is. But remember... God is sovereign. What appears to be a disaster to you is intended for the advance of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of God. We see that all the way through the book of Acts. And we also see, secondly, that proper responses in the desert enrich the soul. Proper responses... In the desert, enrich the soul. Okay, so Rome is not exactly the Sahara Desert. But how must Paul have felt about his life? He was under house arrest. People could come and go. He had a lot of privileges that most prisoners didn't have. But think about Paul. Here's a guy that every day he got up Thinking, how am I going to advance the gospel today? Or how's the Lord going to use me? Father, he's praying. I want you to. And he would go to the temples. He would go to the, the, uh, outside the temples. He would go to the synagogues. He would go to the marketplace and the town halls. And he would debate people. He would dialogue with people. And now he's totally dependent on people to come to him. He didn't set his own schedule anymore. And yet, this was God's mission, and Paul understood it. There are two things that are absolutely certain about Paul's ministry. One, he was strategic in his passion to advance the gospel. He was strategic. He had a plan. And the second thing is, Paul's plan was not always God's plan. And that was okay with Paul. He was all right with that. He moved in a direction, and if the Lord redirected him, he was okay. Some of you, it's just such a struggle to know what the will of God is. Don't, don't be guessing it all the time. If one thing we've seen in the book of Acts, just start moving. And if God wants you to go in another direction, he'll move you. It's okay. You don't have to say, but what if I, what if I take the wrong fork in the road? I'm not sure that there is a wrong fork in the road. I mean, if you're really seeking after God, if you love God with all your heart, like I've said many times, Augustine, quoting Augustine, love God and do what you want to. Now, you've got to really love God in order to do that. Well, I'm certain that Paul would have loved every single person with whom he spoke and to whom he preached to say yes to Jesus. But he understood that that was not going to be the case. I mean, look at how he shared the gospel, even as he rebuked the Jews in Rome for failing to believe. He said, you know the truth, yet you refuse to repent of your sin, the the sin of trying to work your way to God and to believe. Boy, that gospel is all through Acts, but it's all through Scripture. It's all through Old and New Testament alike. Therefore, he said, the gospel is going to continue to move to the Gentiles. Then the last two verses of Acts tell us what Paul did. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. Now, that's, that's a different concept, isn't it? You go to prison, you pay for it. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Passionate man, no matter where he was. So Paul was greatly restricted in his activities. He couldn't go to those places that he had been to. But God provided many opportunities for him to share the gospel. And he did so boldly. But there was also ample opportunity, no doubt, to sit and reflect not only on the goodness of God, but all the truth of God. And those two years in prison, Paul, the Holy Spirit working through Paul, produced some incredibly rich, theologically rich letters, such as Ephesians and Colossians. And then Philippians, which is so warm and personal, also turns out to be a a, a letter that contains very weighty theology. And as John Stott says, Paul's prison letters breathe an atmosphere of joy, peace, peace. Patience and contentment. Would you say if you wrote a letter today really expressing the depths of your so- heart and soul, would your letter contain that? Peace, joy, contentment, patience? Mm, probably not. Most of us get pretty restless. Here's the deal. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste it. Don't waste the derailment or the postponement of your plans to serve the Lord. Unfortunately, most of us aren't thinking about derailment or postponement of plans to serve the Lord. We're far more upset about the derailment or postponement of our participation in the American dream. Than we are in any kingdom concerns. I got to tell you. Look this is, this, this is going to be a tough week. Economically. You're going to hear some really bad news. This week. We may be going down for another dip. We may be in big trouble. We may not be. We may come out just fine. I, I hear people on all sides. But it's a good opportunity. For us to say Lord. I do not want to lay up treasures for myself. Where moth will, will eat. And, and, and rust will, will contaminate and destroy. Let my treasures be in heaven, and no matter what I'm going through, help me to trust you. Suffering has a distinct purpose, which is the focus of our last point, and one that we've seen not only in the book of Acts, but all through church history. One's ministry is authenticated by suffering. Your ministry is authenticated. What you say, what you believe is authenticated by suffering. It makes no sense at all that where people die because of their faith, the gospel advances. And yet it happens. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. Some governments have been fairly successful, but most aren't. I mean, Mao Zedong and the great people's revolution, um years ago in China did his absolute best to snuff out all religion and he did a pretty effective job of snuffing out confucianism and buddhism and all of these other but you know what he can't he couldn't snuff out christianity and so um when this spiritual hunger that was so deep in people's hearts finally was allowed to give a little bit of expression and the government released restrictions Christianity was really the only thing on the scene and it just spread like wildfire and today th- thousands of people a day continue to come to Jesus in China and a lot of that is based on the people who suffered and suffered well for the lord you know talk is cheap and easy But living in a way that affirms our bold witness in the face of violent opposition is another story altogether. And we can make this application about living confidently in the Lord when all of a sudden our worlds fall apart from any number of things that happen to us. It authenticates our faith and our message. I've often wondered how I would stand up under the stress of persecution. I've preached the gospel in some pretty difficult places. I mean, I've have, I have literally preached the gospel in places where there's a voice in my head saying, skip this next paragraph, skip this next paragraph, and I'm almost recoiling, and I, and, and I feel, almost feel hands holding me up because it's so difficult, because it's clear that my message is not only not well received, it's antagonizing people. But I have never preached or I've never shared Christ with someone where I felt like, you know, at the end of this presentation, I may either be beaten silly or thrown in jail. So I don't know. I don't know how I would would do. History says that we're granted grace as we need it. Do you remember? When Paul was back in prison in Jerusalem, what happened? He was discouraged. He was very discouraged. And what happened? Jesus appeared to him in his cell. It may not be exactly Jesus literally appearing to you in a a dark moment, but the Lord comes to us and encourages us through His Word, through other believers. God gives us grace as we need it. And so many of us spend much of our lives worrying about, I don't think the grace is going to be there when this problem that may never come does occur. In the early centuries of Christianity, almost all who offered themselves for martyrdom actually died quite poorly. And yet, those who didn't seek suffering but were nonetheless... Arrested and or executed because of their beliefs almost always died well. Why? How? Grace of God. But persecution's a thing of the past, right? Well, there's no doubt that the large number of martyrs in the first century is dramatic evidence that authenticated the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. But persecution certainly continues today you know you think about those early disciples there's no way what if you'd been one of the 11 apostles you know Judas has betrayed jesus he's been crucified horrible just beaten there's no possible way the man could be alive i mean if, if the resurrected jesus had not appeared to them i imagine that they're saying i ain't doing that again you know i have been an idiot Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not going there again. But he did appear, and they did see Jesus. And their joyful proclamation of what they had seen created massive suffering for themselves. Ten of the eleven executed. Peter, were pretty sure, crucified upside down at his request. I'm not worthy to be crucified as, as my Lord was. If you've been wondering, it's not just a, a Catholic tradition, it's probably true, almost certainly. And what they shared with others created, not only suffering for themselves, but for many who believed their report. And our joyful proclamation of what we know in this 21st century, that Jesus is alive and he wants to save the world, somehow gets us into deep trouble with the world. But our response to suffering authenticates our message to the world. And that's true whether, in, whether suffering comes from our proclamation of the gospel or whether it just comes to us in the normal forms of suffering that come to everyone. The way that John and Peter and Paul and many others responded to suffering is just one of the deep impressions with which the Holy Spirit blessed my heart through this study of Acts. And it's my attempt at a segue now into moving to where you get to share how the Lord has impressed your heart in the book of Acts. I'll just say a word about that and then we'll take some some, uh, words from you. Um. Paul's few times of deep discouragement did nothing to diminish the genuine depth of his belief that caused him to rejoice in Jesus. Almost all the time, whether his circumstances were good or bad. Many times he walked away from beatings and from being in jail, praising God singing joyfully to the Lord. And, and John and, and Peter, remember, way back in the early portion of Acts when this, the, the, the Sanhedrin had them beaten. They wanted to kill them, but Gamaliel talked them down and they just beat them with this cat of nine tails. Can you imagine? Well, I don't know that the Jews did that, the Romans did it. But but nonetheless, they had them whipped and scourged and they just walked away saying, Thank you, Lord, that you counted us worthy to suffer. That's what I want, to rejoice in suffering. I want to be able to do that, to believe so deeply that circumstances don't negatively affect my attitude. But rather that suffering draws me into this deep intimacy with Jesus, like Paul wrote about while he was in prison in Rome to the Philippians. Philippians 3.10. I want to know him even better than I already do. And to know the communion of his suffering. It's one of the things that he talked about. Being made like him in his death. So, that's just one of the many things that's impressed me. How about you? What did you learn from the book of Acts?